0: Welcome to Haven, the podcast where we explore the vast landscape of loss. There's no going over or around grief. We're going to take it piece by piece and navigate these tough topics the only way we know how, by going through it. This podcast discusses miscarriage, pregnancy, infant, and child loss, so please listen with care. Silent mystery. Hi, I'm Jen Burgard, your host and following my own personal tragedy, founded Haven, Landscape of Loss. We're telling stories of loss and sharing our perspectives about surviving grief. This episode, we talked to a woman who endured not just one life-altering moment, but several, all in a span of just one year. A widow, a lost mom, and a cancer patient, but also a survivor. We're breaking this down today with her to find out how she did it and what keeps her going. What is it that turns pain into purpose, and how can you get some of that? right now with Hannah Stonehouse-Hudson. Welcome, Hannah. Hello. So glad to have you in the studio. Thank you. Yeah. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Ooh, excellent. So
1: I am Hannah Stonehouse-Hudson. I love to talk about difficult subjects. The biggest one is grief. I am a public speaker, a coach. I'm currently pursuing my master's degree in Thanatology.
0: For everyone, thanatology.
1: (laughs) Thanatology, Mm -hmm. which is the study of death, dying, and bereavement. So I took my passion for telling people things are normal when they're grieving and turned it into a master's degree. (laughs) So it's fantastic. So, and I'm an avid ice angler and I used to be a photographer. For a very long time, I've done a lot of different things, but that would be an entire other
0: episode. It's fascinating. <laughs> it's fascinating to me. Yes. So, so where does this story for you start? Oh God. Okay, uh, not all the way back. But. Right. Exactly. <laughs> like in
1: 1854. Right. right. No. So my big story basically starts in 2004 when I met my now late husband, which is the big part of the story. Dropped everything and moved to northern Wisconsin. I have lived all over the world and ended up 15 years in the most beautiful place on the planet, the south shore of Lake Superior, the Northwoods, in Bayfield, Wisconsin, in the Apostle Islands. So that's a very long way of describing it. But But if you know, you know, right? You know, you know. And ended up marrying a gentleman from Redcliffe, Wisconsin, which is right north of Bayfield. And he was a Jiboy, And it was the most interesting culture shock marriage ever, which again, is another episode that I've talked Mm. about. But it was really interesting bringing the two of us together because I was the city girl who lived all over the place. And he was the country boy who lived in the middle of nowhere and putting the two of us together it was a culture shock for him to meet my family who was very chatty mm-hmm. and him who was very you know waited before he answered all these people it's thoughtful all, all very thoughtful yeah. He put things together in a very uh, to-the-point, matter-of-fact way, which was not something I was very used to. So it took a long time for us to sort of figure out how to have difficult conversations because he would say something very matter-of-fact, to-the-point, and I would lose it because I couldn't figure out why he would say it that way. And oddly enough, one of the things that he talked very matter-of-factly and open about was death and grief which was a topic that I just didn't want to talk about. Mm -hmm. Didn't want to talk about it at all. We didn't talk about it growing up, not because we weren't, like, we didn't want to. Nothing really happened to me Mm. that was really that traumatic. I moved a lot, but that was about it. And so we just didn't have a conversation about what would happen when someone died or the grief process or anything like that. So I was very thankful for a long time He would make me talk about these things, about what would happen when he'd die. And I would get just, I'd be just distraught while he was talking about this. And he said, but you need to know I'm going to die young and I will always be with you. And I would just, I didn't like that, but
0: I was like, okay. Who would like that?
1: (laughs) Right, exactly, exactly. Who would like that? But he also talked about like when you'd see spirits or all these things that, Was not, I grew up knowing that I saw spirits and could interact with all kinds of things, people on the other side that kind of saw things that other people didn't, but it was an assumed in our family, like people just do. Mm -hmm. And so he would talk about it, and I was like, oh, okay, well, people outside our family, that sounds really self centered, but I, didn't know well, that. I think.
0: You, I think we all have that learning and growing experience, yeah. right? In life. Yeah. I mean, as children, we are all self-centered, right? Right.
1: <laughs> yes. Okay. Yes. So we thank all you. grow out of that. <laughs> the Catholic Hopefully. guilt. The Catholic guilt is coming strong. out strong here. <laughs> um, but I also I spend a lot of time currently thinking about how other people feel and how other people react. So sometimes I do hear myself. Apologizing for something I've done, <laughs> which I just need to stop. But anyway, I digress. So he would talk about these things, and I was so thankful that he did because it started me thinking about the things I saw around me the people and at the time like i said i did a lot of things i was an insurance agent at the time and i was seeing all these things happening where i people would come in and i'd have to talk to them about life insurance or i'd have to talk to them about an accident that happened and their child had passed away in it and before if i hadn't had that conversation with him it would have been very uncomfortable mm-hmm. for me to talk about it with them mm-hmm. But at that time, it it wasn't. So that was good. I was still not as comfortable as he was. And his family was talking about death and dying and grief. But at the time, I was. So he had really forced me to talk about things that were very uncomfortable. And we had never planned on having children. We had never planned on having kids. He was not interested in that and I loved his nieces and nephews and you know his cousins so that was fine with me we just had kids we played we wanted to build our businesses and eventually possibly foster or adopt but we weren't interested in the time it has in kids and i accidentally got pregnant very surprisingly <laughs> so we were absolutely floored I actually found out I was pregnant because he had left to go get his captain's license because he needed that to be a fishing guide. He was gone for a week and I was just sick. I was puking everywhere. It was horrible. And I thought I had the flu. And then I started smelling things and I realized like we kept in the freaking living room. Okay. Mm-hmm. It was the Northwoods. He was a fishing guy. <laughs> and the aerator had gone dead. So all these fish were rotting in our living room. Okay. And I didn't realize that's what was going on for like three or four days while he was gone. And I opened it oh, gosh. and puked. Everywhere. I'm like, this isn't not normal response. I mean, like, it smells bad. So I mean, that's gross. Yeah, it's gross, but it's not like. On the floor for a day. So I, as you do, peed on a stick and was pregnant. Oh my gosh. (laughs) And basically cried for a day because I mean, I was excited, but I was also like, oh my God, I'm self employed. He was going to start being self employed. He was going to quit being a cop and be a full time fishing guide. And I was like ruining our life. Oh, my gosh. So I told him and we both cried for like three or four days. Oh. It was, at the time, was not a happy thing. Yeah. Well, it's okay to have right. a different and that response. Is a, exactly. And that is totally okay. It's totally okay. So we spend a couple weeks getting really excited. Yeah. We were like, okay. We talked about it. Yeah. We're like, okay, this the is going to be awesome. <laughs> yeah. 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 And we got ourselves super Super excited, yeah. saying, Okay, well, this is how our life is going to change. And February 17th, I had a little bit of spotting, and he was supposed to film a TV show that day. I said, You know what? It's probably fine. Just go out, film, and it'll be fine. Mm-hmm. So I called my doctor. She's like, Oh, you should come in, and we'll just, you know, take a look. And I'm going to tell this whole story. So this may be. Slightly triggering for people who have not been through this sort of thing. Or who, excuse me, who have been through this sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So I go and she does the ultrasound and there's no heartbeat and definitely no longer with us. And something happens. I can't remember. Oh, yes. So I start bleeding a little more. And she says, okay, well, why don't you go to the hospital? I'm going to have them do like an actual vaginal ultrasound. Mm-hmm. And I go, and I'm walking <laughs> into the ER, and my water breaks.
0: Oh, my goodness.
1: So, And I was 14 weeks along okay. at that point, because we hadn't known for two months. Yeah, you didn't find out right away. Yeah, yeah. we yeah. didn't know for two months. Yeah. And my water breaks, and all of a sudden, I'm in, I don't remember all of this, but I am Hemorrhaging and it's really bad. And I'm at the hospital and we're trying to call Jim and he's not picking up. He's not picking up. And I am all by myself with these wonderful women who I know because it's a small town. Yeah. And I'm bleeding everywhere Mm -hmm. and it's really bad. But the weird thing was we couldn't get a hold of him. We couldn't get a hold of him. We couldn't get a hold of him. And finally a call. And we get a hold of him and he's in the middle of nowhere and they're like, your wife needs to talk to you. And from that point, I don't really remember anything other than he was so in shock that he didn't even come in. Like, he's like, this isn't really happening. So he's like, do I need to come in? I'm like, yeah, you probably should. Yeah. So somehow they put me in a car (laughs) I drive myself back to the doctor's office. Sounds dangerous. Okay. Oh, it was extremely dangerous. And then end up bleeding all over the exam room to the point where they have to replace all the carpets and do everything. Oh, my
0: goodness. So I am hemorrhaging. Yeah. This,
1: it was not good. Like, this is horrible. So I don't, I feel like I'm getting a little bit into this, but my PTSD does Mm -hmm. not necessarily come from what happens next for my husband's death. Mm -hmm. My thing is I discovered at the time, so I end up bleeding. I have a DNC. Mm -hmm. My poor husband looking back now, he was like, I go home and I'm having some more issues. And (laughs) the poor guy, he's like, I just can't take it. I have to go to work. And at that time I thought he was being very mean. Mm. And now that I'm, looking back and actually studying this from a psychological and thanatological aspect is Mm -hmm. this is very normal for men to do Mm -hmm. because they don't know how to help you. Right. And so it may seem mean and unsupportive, but that's not what's going on. So going back anyway. So one of the things that happened is everyone in town, which is a very small town, Was extremely excited for us. Obviously, everybody's really excited for the lone cop and his wife to have a kid. Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, it's a town of 300 people. Local celebrity. Local celebrity. Yeah. Who knew what would come next? Anyway, so, and people kept going, Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. When are you having your baby? And I would just be like, Uh, we're not. Yeah, And then I'd have to say it. And I got hooked up with the most amazing therapist Great. who said, you know what? Sometimes people, when you're going through loss, they want to be a part of it. They want to tell you their story because I tell them and then mm-hmm. they would tell me their story of loss yeah. and I would become very invested in it and, yeah. and feel, because
0: mm-hmm. I thought
1: that was the appropriate thing to do, feel what they were feeling. And I was having... Serious PTSD from it, not being able to get out of bed. I would check the doors three times to make sure they were locked. I thought the house was going to burn down. Like I was having, and this was for months, I was having significant symptoms. Yeah. Um, That's
0: very significant. I mean, with the anxiety and I mean, and it's hard, I think sometimes for, for someone who maybe hasn't experienced PTSD Mm -hmm. or hasn't experienced child loss to understand why, like you just said, I'm checking the door locks. Mm -hmm. Why are you checking the door locks? How is that related to your child dying? Mm -hmm. You know, but it, it doesn't quite make sense, but it's there, right? You're there. It's hard. It's just our own mortality just becomes, right, if this can happen, anything can happen.
1: Oh, yes, exactly. And so you go down this road. I remember driving going, I was supposed to die. Mm. Not not suicidally, but like, what's right. going to happen? Right. What's going to happen? So obsessing yeah. over what was going to happen next. I should have died. Like a Final Destination movie, right? Literally. Like, oh my that's gosh. exactly Yes. Like, where's the truck with all the logs that's right. going to come up? <laughs> like, whenever I'm behind a tr- logging truck. Something is wrong.
0: Right. I was not supposed to make it, right? right. And then right. we intervened, and now this happened, and now I'm just waiting for the time when I'm actually going it's to going die. It's going to happen, and that's super
1: normal. Women don't talk about that. Obviously, mm-hmm. nobody talks about that.
0: No. We're I, talking about it. <laughs> yeah, no, know, because I'm
1: chatty and I love talking about it. Not because I want to make people upset. I want to say, hey, you're going through this. You're totally normal. Stop hiding it. Yeah, it's okay to it's talk about okay, it. It's okay and it's mm-hmm. actually healthier too, but
0: we'll get it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So anyway. It can be difficult to find a place and a company that will truly honor your story. Haven the podcast is made possible by Tellwell Story Co and Studio. Tellwell believes that story is the most powerful way to introduce you and your brand, educate and engage your customers, and remind them why they love you. Take a tip from me, learn more, and start sharing your story at WeTellwell.com.
1: This therapist gave me this tip. She says, sometimes you have to have a brick wall. You literally, and this is not mean, it's not cruel, it's not inhumane to the person talked to you, but you have to have a brick wall. You have to visualize it in between you and the person who's trying to connect with you, trying to tell their story. Because then they can tell their story and they feel heard, but you also save your energy. So you have this brick wall but also have canned responses a lot of the time sure. thank you so much. I really appreciate it. or yes, I'd love to talk about that later. Something that you can just say, yep when you need to say it. right. That's so great advice. Yeah, so those are she also she was an amazing therapist and I was so glad to have her in my life because it was actually a little over a year later. Well, in between that, (laughs) I went viral with this crazy photo and all this crazy stuff happened and people were coming to our house. And about four months after that happened, my husband passed away unexpectedly. And many of the things that she told me, this therapist told me were so, so, so helpful when my husband died. So there were two things that were very helpful. One, what we talked about with Jim saying, I'll always be with you, and talking about the fact that he was going to pass away and how he knew it was going to happen. And he died between 435, which he said he was going to. And so many people wanting in a very kind way to connect with me. And at first, I was very much taking that in. Mm -hmm. And when you're in the shock of loss, you don't have the ability, which you know, to really interact with people in a way that is healthy sometimes. Right. And so you want to distract yourself from healing by listening to other people's. And then you start comparing your loss to them. Well, mine was way worse or, oh God, I can't imagine that. And that's not helpful for you in either way. Right. Comparison of loss, not cool because you're minimizing your pain or someone else's when, you know what, it all sucks.
0: Right. And I think- Maybe we've said this before, but whatever happened to you, whatever your trauma is, yep. you being the collective, right? Yeah. Whatever that trauma is, is the worst thing that has happened to you, right? Yes. To you as a collective, right? And yep. so, yeah, I mean, just because my worst thing isn't the same as your worst thing doesn't right. make it any less worse for me. Exactly. Right? Exactly. And that's not minimizing anybody's Mm-mm. anything. No. Mm -hmm.
1: But it just, that that is what it is. Mm -hmm. So those two things, initially when Jim passed away, very unexpectedly, were huge for me. The other thing, and you and I were going to get into this, was how his community actually handles loss from a traditional aspect. And I'm talking about this as the Irish spouse, mm-hmm. the white spouse mm-hmm. of an Ojibwe guy right. who loved his family. Right.
0: And this is what you have learned, right? Yeah, this, this is, is what, what I learned. learned.
1: Right. Yep. And so even at that time and even more so now, the traditions behind it are what have fascinated me with getting people to talk about loss and grieving. Because one of the things that you do when someone dies in the Ojibwe culture is a fire, and you keep that fire going until the service, and everybody tends the fire. And I could have gone. So does
0: the fire start immediately after? We as find soon out they as pass. possible. Okay. Yeah, and it
1: can. And I actually didn't go to it because I was too freaked out. Yeah, and I could have gone, and I I still feel like, sad that I didn't, but it's weird what we feel sad about. Yeah. So-
0: can have regrets. That's okay. Exactly. Yeah.
1: Exactly. So, you bring them a meal every day. You bring them dinner. So, his best friend, Bossy, would pick it up for me, and then they put it into the fire, and you're feeding them to go to the other side.
0: Oh, interesting. Yeah.
1: So, their journey to the spirit world, Mm -hmm. this is how you do it. Mm Mm-hmm. And the last, like I would always make his favorite meals, always. And then the last one, I got a package of Oreos because that was his favorite and said they had to eat some and then they could put them in the fire. (laughs) So on his birthday, on his birthday, every year we have Oreos or Oreo blizzards or just something Oreo Mm -hmm. for his birthday. So, and sometimes I do it on the anniversary of his passing too. And so that was a huge part of it. And everybody talked about it and it was very open. It wasn't everybody sitting around not wanting to talk about it or didn't want to say his name to each other or anything. Everybody just told stories and it set the tone for the rest, I swear, the last nine years because all I've done is tell stories about him. And I've talked to a lot of his... Ice fishing friends mm-hmm. who did not know that was what was interesting is they didn't even know he's he was a Jibway. so they showed up to the funeral. We had over a thousand people at the funeral.
0: A thousand people,
1: yes, at this funeral in this very small space, wow. which hilariously was where our. Wedding reception was so of course, th- of, right? course. Be- of course, of course. <laughs> so whenever I go to Bayfield and I bring new people there, I'm like, okay, so that's the pavilion. That's where we have weddings and funerals and baby showers. Like this, <laughs> we is- do it all. <laughs> we do it all, and it's like literally everything is done in this beautiful building. <laughs> and so all these people show up, and because I'd gone viral a couple months prior, I even had people there wanting to do selfies with me, like sitting there. Going through, they how never moved. awkward. Yes, it was very weird. And so I kind of got a look into, because his death went kind of viral, and I, right. there's not a better word for it. Yeah. <laughs> I got a look into how people react to death on social media.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that has been a big thing I have studied and have done a lot of seminars on just because of this happening. So wanting to do selfies. And so they start the funeral, and we had a Catholic priest who was by the way the first person who told me that it was okay as a catholic to see spirit he was fascinating father kevin <laughs> he was amazing and he was a gibboy he was from where jim's from i mean he, they were related actually they were cousins cuz everyone is related <laughs> but they were they were like second or third cousins okay but <laughs> and then they had a traditional ceremony so i mm-hmm. got an eagle feather And we did the Catholic ceremony. But it was very interesting in terms of grief there, how they do the two together. So we did that, and it turned into a party. It was Super Bowl Sunday. Everybody was talking and having fun and telling stories. And it was all kinds of different types of people who normally wouldn't come together. So that was awesome. And that, like I said, set the tone for me to just tell stories about this guy. And I know now that's why I was able to heal in a very outward way. Right. Because I got to tell the story of his death over and over and over and over again in these seminars. I talked about it. I told stories of his life. So he just became this, like, he's just a part of it always. And a lot of his friends have told me, this really helped me heal because I can talk about him whenever I want. And you like that. I said you know what? Most people who've lost someone they love want you to tell stories. Yeah,
0: they do. They do.
1: And so I'm really loud about that because it helps everyone to be able to talk about people.
0: Right. And it helps you because that means that that person mattered to them. Yes. And that matters to you. Yes. And it's not just you. I mean, right? We talk about community, right? Because if it's just you, if it's just you that lost your husband, that's so isolating. That's so alone. But if his family and his community and people who loved him can come say, We miss him too. We miss all yeah. of these things, you feel bonded together because you're bonded over the same thing. Yes. In comparison to someone coming up and sharing their story of loss that's someone that you didn't know. Yeah. Right. I mean, you're sitting there going, I feel really badly for you. I feel that for mm-hmm. you. However, I've got my own thing going. Right. And understand that's different, right? So we're talking about different interactions and that makes a difference.
1: Yeah, it makes a total, it it makes a huge total difference. Mm -hmm. It's been really key. I am very close with my mother-in-law, my first Mm mother-in-law, because it was such an open conversation of what was going on in my life and how I was feeling. And she was the same. So a lot of the time when I talk to other people, especially widows, they've lost that other side of the family. I think a lot of the time it's because there's not open conversation. It's not always a pleasant conversation, right, it right. wasn't it? At, at first, I mean, you've got all kinds of stuff going on and people are stressed. Mm-hmm. They're sad, they're stressed. But keeping that conversation going and talking about things is really important.
0: So how do you think that transfers to our life, right? So so they did a great job in that culture right? of approaching it in a way that's open and communicative Mm -hmm. and healing. I mean, what does that look like in traditional Western culture, right? I mean, what does that look like? How can we take those things and apply them?
1: We need to stop being afraid of telling stories about the people we've lost and loved. We need to talk. We need to be open about traditions. We need to just keeping people in our memories And knowing that it's okay to be sad. It's okay to be sad 40 years later. Yeah. We hit this year mark and people think, oh, they should be over it by now. Oh, hell no.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, most people- I am still under it. I'm uh, back. Yeah, in (laughs) fact.
1: So just because you're talking about something doesn't mean you're sad about it too. I want to-
0: Yeah, that's true. That's uh,
1: true. And so- Going back to my miscarriage, my miscarriage is still very hard for me to talk about from a PTSD perspective right. because I didn't talk about it. My husband's passing, very easy for me to talk about because I talked about it all the time. So, these two things, one of which should probably be a little easier in quotes, <laughs> is not easy for me. So, you just look at things. And I mean, I still get distracted. I'm sitting here talking about it. Mm-hmm. And it's, I can feel physically that it drains me
0: mm-hmm.
1: more than talking about gym passing. Right. So, and that's what's been interesting about this interview with you. I am very much off track mm-hmm. in a way that I normally am not. Right. And so, when we pay attention to those feelings in our bodies, when I talk to people about grief, When I talk to someone who is a few years down and they've come to me and we're trying to figure out, okay, how do we want to approach this where you want to make a difference, but you don't know how Mm -hmm. with whatever's happening in your life. I tell people, pay attention to the things that feel heavy, like physically heavy. Mm -hmm. That's the stuff you haven't worked through yet.
0: Yeah. So For the people in the back. Yes. Let's say that again. (laughs)
1: Pay attention to the things that are heavy because that is what you haven't worked through yet.
0: I love that. So tell me if you can, I mean, I very much am so grateful and we as a community and as as our listeners very much appreciate you being willing to talk through that heavy stuff and share that with us, even though that's clearly difficult for you. How were you able to take this pain, all of this happening and turn it into purpose? Because clearly you're working with people to help them through stages of grief and loss so what was that process like for you i knew that i needed
1: to take this and there's different types of grievers i am a type of griever who learns about it all and has to do something with it mm-hmm. so literally i am turning pain and turning it into purpose in my own way but also helping other people because you want to do something like you have with haven you want to do something because you don't want anybody else to feel alone or you don't want anyone else to have to go through this. And that is a really awesome normal response. And the people who are able to do it have either worked through most of it or they are working through it while doing. Sure. And they have a good support system. If you have an excellent support system, you can usually work – through it while you're creating something. Mm -hmm. If you don't have the best support system Mm -hmm. or there are mitigating factors, me, for instance, the miscarriage and didn't know that was holding me back Mm -hmm. from some of these other things. It takes longer and that's okay. There are too many people who think if I don't do something within the first year about this, everyone's going to forget or within the first two years. No, that's not it at all. I'm nine years down the line, almost 10, and I'm just starting to be able to do this. And I want people to know it can be 30, 40 years down mm-hmm. the road. It doesn't matter. It takes what it takes. It takes what it takes. Yeah. And you can do something with it or you don't have to. You can just talk to people one-on-one and make them know that they're not alone. Yeah. Listen to their stories because you've already processed yours. Right. So there's various ways of doing that. So does that answer your question? I got a little distracted.
0: (laughs) It does answer my question. And I think that points out an important part too, is just being willing to sit with other people in those tough times, in those hard moments, not being afraid, Mm -hmm. right? Afraid of having that conversation, right? Because if I'm looking at you and you start telling me about your husband or your baby and you break down crying, Mm -hmm. it's natural in this area for folks to like kind of clam up and go, oh gosh, oh gosh, oh gosh. What do I say? What have I done? I've stepped on a landmine. How do I fix this? Right. Right. Uh, What can I throw at this? Right. Exactly. (laughs) You know, what energy can I throw at this to make this go away? But what if we just said, okay, I see you're feeling really upset. I hope it's not something I said. If it is, I'm happy to change the topic, but if you want to talk about it, let's talk about it. Right. That takes bravery. That takes courage, right? To do that. And yeah. as a human, another human being takes a willingness to get in there with them, right? Yes. And and be empathic and, and feel those feels because we don't like feeling that way, right? Like, right. I don't like feeling miserable and sad and, and hurting. I don't like that feeling, mm-hmm. but I accept that it's an important feeling to have right. and to get comfortable with, right? And right. so- and the other thing that you said that was interesting is that you said it's been nine, almost 10 years. And I think it's important to clarify that it's not that you haven't been living for nine oh, or ten years, right? right? Someone shouldn't look at you and say, Oh gosh, she's been in this bad way for nine or ten years. No, 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 no. Like, right? No. It's just you're starting to realize, right? Self-realize what that trauma did to you and how that impacts your life today.
1: Yes. I've had the most incredible joyful, interesting, fulfilling nine almost 10 years. Mm-hmm. I've traveled all over the world. I've done seminars. I've done all kinds of things. But I wasn't ready to help people do the same thing. Yeah. until now. Until now. And that's totally
0: cool. That's amazing. So tell us what you're doing now. Tell us
1: more about thanatology. <laughs> so thanatology, the study We're going to link this Yeah, show notes. Oh, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> so thanatology is the study of death, dying and Bereavement, grief. My thing has been since Jim passed away is I want people to know they're not alone. Mm -hmm. I want them to know is this beep normal? Yes, it is. It sucks, but it's normal for this really effed up situation. Mm -hmm. It's normal. So I have been telling people for forever. And I said, you know what? There's got to be studies behind all of this. So yeah. I Googled and I found thanatology. I said, what the hell is thanatology? Yeah. Well, it's, that is what it is. And it was started by the woman, Kubler-Ross, who did the stages of grief. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. And the stages of grief are for people who are actively dying. They are not for grievers. And mm. unfortunately, well-meaning people have taken these and put them into grief education, sometimes for providers, which is where some things can go very wrong, Mm -hmm. saying, oh, well, these are the stages of death and grief for people who are grieving. No, those her research was on the stages of death and dying and grief for people who are actively dying. And she talks about the fact that she wishes that not that she had not done it, but but it wasn't applied in that this it way. was applied in the wrong way, yeah, so one of the things that happens is is providers go in and don't understand why people are still going through this ten years later. Well, that's because there are no stages of grief it's it's, it's way mess. more complicated <laughs> than that, but as humans, we sometimes want to put things in a box because yes. we want people to do things on a predictable level. Yeah. Well, we're human. We have fingerprints, fingerprint of grief, I call it, Mm -hmm. is because it is personal to you. So I decided, so I wanted people to know they were normal. I discovered thanatology and I decided, okay, well, now I can tell people that's normal. And here's the study on it. Mm -hmm. So I can take the science behind grief and death, dying bereavement, and make people know what they're going through is normal. And help them see that they're not alone, but also help the people who are their loved ones, who are confused by how they're acting and don't have any sort of grief education, bring it to a point where they can say, oh, okay, well, I heard about that. That's normal. I shouldn't be upset with this person.
0: And what's a great response for me? What's a great way I can support this person I love? Exactly. And they can
1: educate themselves or they can say, okay, well, that's okay. And, and we're going to move forward and that's going to be fine. You can feel that. And I know you'll be fine. And that was what was really interesting to me is when I was dating after Jim passed away, I would be dating and I'd be talking about Jim and the first few people I dated, one of in particular was obsessed with the stages of grief and wanted me to be done now because we're a year and you've already hit anger or whatever it is. Interesting. Oh, yeah. Or some people thought I talked about him because I wasn't over him. Well, it's not that you're <laughs> over him. It's like, I had one guy ask me out, so if you're over your husband's death, um, you want to go out on a date? Get some wine? It was like four months after Jim died. I'm like, well, if you're s- over. Oh, boy. Okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, it was really awkward. Mm-hmm. And oh, there's some. We're all dying. Did you
0: go on a date? Oh,
1: hell no. Because (laughs) what's even funnier is the guy who had asked me out, his son had been arrested numerous times by Jim. And I was like, "Mm, nope, not going to be doing that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, So um,
0: (laughs) (laughs) no names here, folks. No No names. names. No (laughs) names.
1: So I got into this and realized some people get it and some people don't. And And I did, I got remarried. I got married again about a month ago.
0: Congratulations. Uh, Thank you.
1: And one of the things that he and I bonded about was the fact that we can talk about our loved ones who are gone and just tell stories and it's not a competition. It's not like I'm missing him and wanting him back. Right? He was a part of my life. And so this is what I tell other widows and widowers. There are people out there who are going to accept the fact and even embrace the fact that this person is still a part of your life.
0: Mm.
1: Don't settle. If you have lost a child, if you have lost and you've lost a loved one, anything, there are people who want to hear your stories, who enjoy and will celebrate. If you're around negativity and people are like, why are you still talking about that? Why aren't you over it? Cut that person out just for your own health and mental health. Go find other people (laughs) because you're not going to, unless this person is going to have some sort of aha moment, which is I'm the person who wants to create that aha Mm -hmm. moment because there isn't, I don't feel like there's a lot of approachable grief education. There are many people who talk about from a griever's perspective, how they should feel. I want to talk about, I want my audience almost, I want to be the people who are loving the grievers.
0: Yeah. So from you just, yeah. just send those folks to this podcast. Oh I know. Give it a listen, right? Yes. We've got plenty of episodes. They can yes. pick up some tips. <laughs>
1: exactly. Pick up some tips. So yeah, I'm ram- I'm kind of rambling because I can't believe that I get to do this. Yeah. Because this is stuff I have not had a smile on my face like this in terms of studying and knowing that I can help people in a healthy way. I can help people. And when I mean healthy, I don't necessarily mean mentally healthy. Right. I mean physically because so many diseases, chronic inflammation, they come from unprocessed trauma and grief. They just do. And there are scientific studies. This isn't like a woo woo thing. Yeah. The rates of chronic inflammation in teens who've lost parents. Teens who have lost siblings. There was this huge study that was just, it wasn't just published, but it's a seven year thing where they followed these kids who had lost parents and lost siblings, siblings too. And those who were talking about it and those who weren't, and health factors, chronic illnesses, pain, all that sort of thing, and how it did relate to processed or unprocessed trauma.
0: Wow. So. That's so interesting, and it, it makes sense, yep. you know, I mean, we like to talk about our brain and our body being separate, right? but right. it's all one yes. <laughs> it's all the same, yes. and I think if we start treating it that way, I love how much of a push there's been for mental health just yes. in in our country, even over the last few years, mm-hmm. and I think that's wonderful, but I do think, yeah, we're still missing pieces there, yeah. and I think a lot of us even say, yeah, that's great, 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 great talk, talk about this, get get help, get help. But I'm even guilty of it, right? I'm guilty of not getting help when I needed it. Oh, okay. same, same. Right? And so we're not doing it. We're not here doing it perfect. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> and yeah. that's okay to talk about too. Right. Right? right. And so I think – Having that open communication about it, you know, it's like, oh gosh, you know, I, I really should have done this, or I really should have done mm-hmm. that. We talked about regrets earlier, you yes. know, I, I wished I would have done this or that, and i have, I'm full of regrets, right? Yeah. <laughs> should have <laughs> so, done this, yeah. yeah, should, should, should. right, should, should, should. None yeah. of us are, are doing it perfect, but we can all try, yeah. right? And I love that. I think that's so interesting. So, Hannah, where can we get your information? Where can we find out about you and the things that you offer? If you go to timegracespace.com, I have all of my stuff there, ways to get a
1: hold of me. My email newsletter is there. Or you can go on Instagram or Facebook. It's just Hannah Stonehouse Hudson. All right. Perfect. all the All the Hannah Stonehouse Hudsons.
0: Perfect. <laughs> we are going to link you in our show notes so folks will be able to find you. And cool. watch out in the future for more content from Hannah and I. Yeah. Love it. <laughs> Well, thank you, Hannah. Thank you for being so open and sharing about your journey, about your child and your husband and everything that's happened since then, so. You're welcome. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. See you next time. Thank you for listening to Haven's Landscape of Loss. If you found it helpful to hear this story and are going through a lost journey of your own, or supporting someone else who is, consider subscribing on wherever you're listening to this podcast. If you found this episode helpful and you'd like to support the podcast, please share it with loved ones, post about it on social media, and leave a five-star rating wherever you're listening. Finally, to learn more and get even more resources about The Lost Journey or to send a healing gift, please visit havenmidwest.org. And while you're there, consider donating this podcast is made possible by our partners at Tellwell, listeners like you, and folks willing to share their stories so we can all heal together. You are-